Come on, come on, let's continue to give God praise. Come on, let's continue to give him worship in his house. Come on, you may be seated. You may be seated this morning. Good morning, church. I don't know about you, but I just feel that God's presence is here in this place, and I see it in all your faces and, and in the songs of praise that I'm hearing, and just the energy that's in the room. And I think it's an energy that comes from people who understand that they're grateful, and they have something to be grateful for. And if we don't have anything else going in our life, we can be grateful for the God that we serve, for the salvation that is given to us, for the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And it doesn't matter where you come from, what your skin color is, what your gender is, what your language you speak, that that blood is precious and priceless for every soul, and that Jesus cared and died for every single person, and that when you understand and are grateful for that grace on your life, I believe there's something that bubbles inside of you, and that causes you to just uh, feel different about God and about church. And if you are here for the first time today, I want to say welcome to you on behalf of the church. We are so glad that you are here uh, you, I just want you to know that whatever you fears you may have had coming into this church today, that I just want you to put those aside. There's no condemnation. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's judging what you're wearing or what who you came with. We are glad that you are here today because we are all family in Christ, and we are grateful to have your presence, and we, we honor the Lord and thank you for being here today. So on behalf of our church, welcome again this morning. I'm excited to uh, share a message with you today as we walk into 2018. It's almost weird to, to hear that said out of my mouth. 2018, I, I just can't believe it. Uh, something keeps happening. I keep getting older. I don't know why, uh, but it's okay. I don't mind uh, being, being old. In fact, I want to be very old. That's exactly what my goal is, my bucket list, is to be as old as I can be and to do this as long as I can. Because there's just something special about doing the work of the Lord. And you don't have to be up front like me to do the work of the Lord. That's just my assignment. In fact, this work cannot be done without you. In fact, that is my job. Ephesians 4, verse 12 through 13 says that I'm supposed to equip the saints to do the work. I'm supposed to be equipping you, not entertaining you, not feeding you, but pushing you making you mad. You ought to leave sometimes church mad at the pastor. Amen. I didn't like what he had to say today. That's good. That's good for us. How many of you loved everything your mama and your dad said when you were growing up? Right? <laughs> no, no, you, you didn't love it until you got older. You said, okay. And then you did it 10 times worse to your own children. So, and then I don't know what happens when they turn grandparents. They seem to repent of their sins and go backwards, you know, giving kids Fruit Loops and suckers in the morning, and I don't know what grandparents are doing these days. It's an issue for me. Well, I, I'm excited again to share this message today, and I want to begin here at Matthew chapter 12. And I got an NLT version of the Bible. I like some of the ties you guys are wearing today. I see some of the brothers with ties. Haven't worn a tie in a while. I think I might wear a tie next time. Bow ties even. Man, got to step my game up. Matthew chapter 9, and just want to consider a few verses here. Again, I got the NLT version. If you have an a analog version, go ahead and pull that out. If you got a digital version, some of you just waiting for it to be on the screen. That's okay. We're going to talk about that today. Amen. 
So Matthew chapter 9, and this is such a beautiful passage. It's, it's the story of the calling of Matthew. And I love it because Matthew is the writer of this particular book. So he's kind of writing his story. He's kind of infusing himself in here. And I found something in here that I thought might be an encouragement to you. Beginning at verse 9. I'm just going to read to verse 13. The Bible says, as Jesus was walking along. How many of you know that Jesus still walks along? I love that. He walks alongside of you at work. He walks alongside of you in the car. He, he's a kind of a walk-along God. He's not a distant God waiting for you to come to him. He's a walk-along kind of God. So Jesus is walking along. He saw a man named Matthew. Matthew writing in the third person here. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And of course, is anybody writing their own narrative about how they came to Jesus? What, what does Matthew say? So Matthew got up and followed him. Some verses say immediately, giving himself a little pat on the back. Good job, Matthew. You know, some, most scholars would, would believe that this did not happen. Uh, just Jesus, this wasn't the first time that Jesus met Matthew. In fact, Jesus had visited the tax collector booth many times as a carpenter, as a common citizen that he had walked along the way and introduced himself. It's interesting that for 30 years, Jesus prepared for his ministry. 30 years he was preparing for just three and a half years of ministry. And I believe a part of this was coming down to the marketplace, walking around, buying some dates, getting a milkshake, some fries, hanging out. And stopping by the tax collector booth. And so Jesus waits for the moment as Matthew records it. And he says, follow me. So Matthew, probably contemplating his decision, gets up and follows him. Verse 10, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Jesus had already had a few people following him. Jesus was building that team together. And he had them over for dinner. The Bible says, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Matthew's making it clear that at my house I had a whole bunch of thugs. I had a whole bunch of people that were up to no good. People that were outcast and criticized. People that normally would not be welcomed over for dinner. Matthew's making sure that we understand that they were at this dinner. But when the Pharisees saw this, he asked his disciples. Look at that. Notice he didn't, they didn't ask Jesus, right? <laughs> Notice they didn't go straight to Jesus and ask him. They started asking the disciples. It's interesting how the enemy will often test you by testing those close to you. If he can expose your children, he can get to you. If he can get to your wife, he can get to you. If he can get to your husband, he can get to you. So he gets to his disciples. Hey, wh why doesn't... Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Trying to test him a little bit. Are you sure you made the right decision? You sure you're following the right person? He's kind of getting you caught up in a little controversy. You sure about that? But Jesus heard this. He always hears it. I love that. He hears everything. He hears your cries. He hears your concerns. He hears your doubts. He hears those things. And Jesus doesn't throw out condemnation. Jesus doesn't throw out hatred. He doesn't immediately rebuke them. He just simply says, healthy people... Don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He says, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have not come to call those who think they are righteous. 
practice for some people who are born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church. People who think they are righteous because of what they eat, think they're righteous because of what they quote, think they're righteous because of their particular music in their church or the what is there and what is not there. Think they're righteous because of this. But Jesus makes it very clear. I'm not coming to call those who think they're righteous. I'm coming to call those who know they're sinners. Yeah, they're aware of their condition. They are not deceived by their practice of religion. They are very clear about their condition. They are aware of their sinfulness. They are aware of their tendencies to unproneness to sin. They are aware of the victories that God has overcome in them, but they are constantly aware that they are in need of a Savior. They have not perfected a religious practice to the point where they think they have arrived. They are aware very fully of their sinful nature. So that's what I want to preach this morning. I need you to turn to your neighbor. I need you to look at them. That's somebody right next to you for somebody who's never been here together. I don't want you to leave and go talk to your neighbor, just somebody sitting next to you, and say, neighbor, oh, neighbor, there is a religion update available. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this message and for these people and for what we will hear, what we will see, and what we will learn. I pray today that we will leave here with a new resolve. We will leave here encouraged, but we will also leave here challenged by what you have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not one of those, I got to get the new phone type people. Well, I should put it like this. I'm not one of those who can afford... I got to get the new phone type people. <laughs> so whenever I see on my iPhone that little red, looks like almost like an exclamation warning sign, update available, I get very concerned. Because usually my phone is about two or three editions back, right? I, I, I get the older phone when I get a new phone. I, I don't get the brand new phone that's out. So anytime I see an update available, I get concerned. Because I'm concerned that the device that I'm using is getting ready to be obsolete. Look, I don't run Apple. They're a business. I understand it. They make great products. They can decide when they don't want to support a device. But it's just happened to me over and over again that I'm on the edge of my device being unoperable because of the update. And sometimes I hesitate on it. I don't know if anybody else is like this. And I kind of wait, and I kind of give it some time, and I try to go as long as I can. Then I realize stuff's not working right. Then apps aren't opening. Things are going slow because I need an update. Then finally I break down. Finally I push the button, and I find out my phone's way too small. Because, again, not only do I buy an older version, I buy the one with the little, you know, the lowest memory. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you how it is for a brother. I'm trying to do the best I can out here. And so, so, you know, I, I finally say, all right, cool, I'm going to go ahead and update it. And, and then it works. And then I'm pleasantly surprised by what the update can do. I, I'm just persuaded as I think about going into 2018 and I think about 2017 and I think about the church and I think about the world, I, I believe God is putting a sign in our hearts that says there's an update available. I don't believe that the version 
of our faith that we are used to practicing is going to be able to continue to work going forward. I think that there's an update available. I think that we need to update. I think that there are some things that we will find ourselves being obsolete, ineffective, unable to relate because God is trying to update us in the spirit. Now listen, religion in general needs an update. In fact, religion has such a bad connotation to it. When you hear the word religion, most of you have heard it in negative ways. And someone says, I'm not religious, right? Or people, I've heard people even say that being a Seventh-day Adventist, I don't practice that religion. It's interesting that religion has such a bad context. Can I, I just want to, for a few moments, talk about, at least from, from this perspective, of what religion really is. Religion, in a lot of ways, is not, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it just describes something. It really describes a practice. And I would suggest that everyone, in some way, is very religious. If you are a true, now I'm going to say this. I haven't talked about this all year, so I've been doing really good. Okay? But if you are a true Seahawks fan, I'm, I'm not talking about Fair weather, you know, 11 and 4 Seahawks fan. I'm talking about we got to win this Seahawks fan. <laughs> if you are, if you are, and some of you are, I know some of you are, sports teams, whatever your team is, there is a religion associated to that. Am I telling the truth? There is a practice. There are things you do. There are things you don't do. There are things you say. There are things you don't say. There are things you wear. There are things you don't wear. There are teams you like and there are teams you don't like because you have a practice that is associated to that team. All religion is is a prescribed set of practices that helps you perfect, perfect what you are reaching for and what you believe. That's all it is. We are religious in so many different ways. We have a set practice in how we do things. Some of you who are great cooks, please invite me to your house. And you are great cooks, and you are very religious about what you make. Right? Come on, ladies. You only use certain pots. Right? You only use certain appliances for this particular dish. And that's, that's your practice. Now, now, guys, come on. You guys are religious. Let's, let's be honest about this. With your tools, right? I mean, you, you know exactly. You, you treat those tools like they are babies. You shine them and make sure they're organized. and Forget your clothes and everything else, but your tools, oh, my goodness. Hey, where's, where's, my, where's my, I mean, little socket like this little? Where is it at? Somebody took it. You'll search that whole, whole toolbox for that one little whatever it is, bit or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's missing, and you're going to find it. We're all religious, and it's interesting because religion gets sometimes a negative rap because some people, their religion is their religion. They are, they are really completely 100 devoted to their practice and not what they're practicing for. We all need religion. We all need boundaries. We all need things and practices that help us grow closer to our goal. Now, in a spiritual way, 
in a relationship way. And those who have made the decision to follow Jesus, we need religion because we need practices that help us achieve what we're supposed to achieve. We need someone or somebody or someone to hold us accountable to how often we pray. We need to pray every day. Come on, somebody say amen. We need to read our Bible every single day. We need to attend a church or a weekly service weekly. That is religion. That is a part of what we do. And we do those things so that we might be closer to God. There's a practice that's involved. Sometimes people are out of balance when they don't have both of the two together, religion and relationship. Some, they want religion but have no relationship with God. You've met people like that. They are 100% dogmatic about doing this, this, and this, and this, and they never have a kind word to say to you. They will keep the Sabbath like it is, I don't know, like, like they're getting ready to get executed after it's over. Like they just, they just make sure every little thing is done. But as soon as that's over, some of you grew up with people like that. And there's other people who, who are just so focused on a relationship with God, they don't have any religious practice. They just tossed, you know, I'm going to go to this church. I might come. I might read my Bible. I might not do this. You know, they reading the Bible, smoking the joint at the same time and criticizing you. Like, wait, wait, what is going on? I'm really confused with what. Okay, okay, because one week you're doing this and one week you're doing that. Just completely inconsistent. Let me show you what, what Paul talks about because I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, let me find it in my analog here version. I like the analog version. Don't you? Some of you guys don't trust preachers when they look on their iPhone. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't study. All right. Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. Paul's breaking this down. I love the way Paul breaks this down. Uh-oh, I lost it here. There it is. Paul says, He's talking about a bunch of different things. He's trying to help his church uh, and Philippi get things together. Here's what he says here. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. So I want you to fix your thoughts on that. I want you to focus. I want you to start putting those things in priority in your mind. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Because you do know that your, your spirituality and your walk with Christ has a lot to do with what you think. And what you think about. Paul's trying to set that in order. And in verse 9 he says, keep putting into, what's that word everybody? Practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Look what Paul's saying. He says, everything I've taught you, I want you to practice. Everything I've shown you, everything I've instructed you, I want you to practice because I'm not always going to be here. And when I leave, you are going to have to be able to stand on your own. But you got to practice it. That's religion. 
He says, what I taught you to do, when I taught you to do the communion, I taught you to pray about this, do that. When I taught you to read the scriptures this way, do this. When I taught you to put this aside and put that away, I want you to practice it. I want you to get good at it. Because whatever you practice, you'll be good at. And some of us have had the... (laughs) have not had the deliverance from practicing things that are sinful and thinking about things that are sinful. So what happens in the moment when we want to do something else, we, don't, we can't help but do what we practiced. If we practice absorbing uh, sexually inappropriate content all week, guess what's going to happen when you're trying to do it right? You're going to do what you practiced. And so Paul's making sure you understand, look, I need you to set yourself apart. I need you to have a discipline, and I need you to put it in order. I need you to practice everything that I taught you. And I look at this. This is one of my favorite texts about religion. This is in James, the book of James. Some of you have probably read this or studied this before. And this is a very simple, simple uh, text that that James writes here. And I got to find it. Uh, I got a new Bible, so it sticks a little bit. Y'all bear with me here. I'm getting there. And I didn't want to put like, you know, it's not fair when pastors put like all the little uh, (laughs) notes in. They just flip right to it and you're still flipping and looking for it. And they're like, you haven't found it yet? Hurry up. Where's where's James? Okay, I'm getting there. Like, I'm just, I'm still looking for it. I'm still looking in the table of contents for it. (laughs) I can't find it either. Okay, we're getting there. Okay, here it is. James chapter 1. And... Or, or is it James chapter 1? Yeah, it should be James chapter 1. Verse 26, 27. Okay, here's what it says. If you claim to be, what's that word? Religious, but do not control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. If what you think you believe and what you do all week and you can't control your tongue, Your religion is worthless. In other words, your practice is not producing any fruit because you are what you say. And things happen what you say. That's the way God created the world. He spoke it and it came to pass. And when we say what we say, it often bears fruit of what we think. Like Jesus says, whatever a man thinks in his heart is what he says. So if if your religious practice is not producing anything that's positive, and you can't control it, it's worthless. Or might I add, what you write on Facebook. Amen, somebody. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Your fingers are included in your tongue. Okay, somehow. Verse 27 says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of who? Now, I got a little time to talk about this. Because there's a difference between what it looks like in front of God and what it looks like in front of people. Don't fall into the trap of perfecting how you look in front of people. It's exhausting. And all it takes is one moment you're not prepared for, one tragedy that you haven't prepared for, and it will completely break down your religion. One thing that you say, well, I don't believe in this, 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 and that, until your child comes and tells you. Until until somebody you love comes and has the issue that you were so much against. And if your religion is is perfected in the sight of people, it won't last. But God says, he's, Paul, John's talking about, James is talking about your religion in the sight of God. 
the father. Means for caring, this is what religion for him is, caring for the what? Caring for the orphan and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In other words, a good practice of your faith, a good system of, of things that are put together, that are built for you, is that you will care for the orphans and, and widows, and you won't let the world corrupt you. Here's what I'm saying, especially about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I believe that there are some beautiful and wonderful practices that the Lord has given this church that will help us in our walk with Christ. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. I believe there are things that we teach to include and to remove in our lives that help us grow in our walk with Christ, in our discipleship with him. I think it's great. I think there are things that we should practice and that we should keep and that we should do that would help us perfect it. But the reality is it's not just about what we practice or what we think, but there is evidence and there is fruit. And James is describing here, the fruit is that you care for those who need care and you don't let the world corrupt you. So we go back to our main text, back to Matthew. I want you to see something here. I want you to see an intersection of two people, two groups, or two types of people, I should say, that are in need of a religion update. One person gets it and the others don't. We find Matthew Jesus has introduced himself to him. He's met him. He said, I want you to follow me. He's offering him something different. As a tax collector, Matthew was excluded from a lot of the religious practices of his day. He was ridiculed. He was regarded as a sinner, a traitor, an enemy of the state. They did not like Matthew. And Matthew makes the decision that I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow this new movement. There's something about what he's asking me to do that I'm going to follow him. And what it required was that Matthew would leave his position, that Matthew would leave the, the occupation that he was in. And so here, Matthew says, guess what? I want to I I follow Jesus. He says, look, let me have a party with all my old friends, and Jesus come over and hang out with me. And then they're having this big party, and then all of a sudden, the Pharisees show up. Now, y'all know who the Pharisees were, right? They were super religious people. They were so religious that when they were killing Jesus, they had to hurry up so they could keep the Sabbath. Can y'all hurry up and kill him? Because we got to keep the Sabbath. We, Sabbath is at 430. We got to get this, get this done. We don't want to break the Sabbath. They, they had perfected a practice of religion that had become oppressive. God had chosen religious leaders to be teachers and people that helped the people, but they had really gotten to a weird place, and they find out about the party, and they have some issues with it. So they come by. And they say, why does, your, why, does your, why does your disciples eat with so much scum? What, what's going on with that? Why is Jesus doing this? Jesus responds in verse 12, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he says this, this is verse 13. He says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Now, I almost skipped over that. I almost skipped over that. And that kept, that kept bothering me, this request. And I found at first I was focusing on exactly what Jesus told them, which is, which is something we should study and, and we might talk about a little bit. But the thing that Jesus says that really stood out to me 
was this request, and I almost missed it. He tells them, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. He says, go back and study this again. And that's what, that's what drew me to the text. Because what Jesus is offering them is the same thing he offered Matthew. He's saying, I want you to know that there is an update available to your religion. And it is about going back uh-huh, and looking at something that maybe you saw before and refreshing yourself and looking for the meaning. Because you may understand the interpretation. You may be able to quote this text, but I want you to go back and study. It's going to take for you to make a decision to go back and approach it in a different way. Now, the text that Jesus is referring to is Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I want to take you to Hosea uh, chapter uh, 6 real quick and read that in context and see what Jesus is trying to suggest here. Old Testament book of Hosea, written in a very interesting time, one of the minor prophets. And this was a time where the northern kingdom of Judah was getting ready to fall. And God was using the prophet Hosea to speak to him. It's a very powerful book as God speaks to the prophet and has him marry someone who was unfaithful to him as a metaphor uh, of what he wanted to do and his love and compassion for his people. And right here in verse 6 is kind of a break in the rest of the chapters and the rest of the book. And it's a break here. And here's what God says. He says, come, let us return to the prophet. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces and now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we will live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming of the rains in the early spring. Oh, Israel and Judah, why, what should I do with you, asked the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight. Listen to the heart of God. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces. That's why I said every once in a while you ought to come to church and be mad. I sent the prophet to cut you in pieces, to slaughter you with my words, to break you down. God says, I sent prophets to you to tell you that what you're doing is not right, that you're far from me. That you're practicing something, but without the relationship with me that I want you to have. I slaughter you with my words, with judgments as indescribable as light. And here's what Jesus quotes. I want you to show love. Now, I'm talking about that, that word right there, not offer sacrifices. Look what, G, what God says. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. That word for love in Hebrew um, this word uh, Hasid is transferred or translated a couple of different ways. It can be translated as love or mercy. It's actually uh, in verse 3, the same word, and it's translated love there. But here in this version, they translated it love. It's the same word for mercy. And one writer would say that this, these words are interchangeable, inter, um, interconnected. And I'll read it here actually what, what this commentator says that the word Hasid. Um, is a word that can refer to the right conduct towards one's neighbor or loyalty to God or both. The sum of what God requires of his servants. What God says is here is I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Can I just help you with this real quick? 
because burnt offerings was God's idea. That wasn't man's idea. That was God saying, I want you to practice this. When you come out of, the, the, uh, of Egypt, I have to reteach you how to love me. And so in this particular practice, I'm setting up the sanctuary service and everything that's connected in that so that you could purify yourselves and become holy and set apart. And so burnt offerings was a very important part of the process of their religion, their practice to learn and understand God and walk with him. But he says, what I rather have is not a perfection of your practices, but I really want you to get back to what this is all about. And that is to show love and to show mercy to me. And in other words, God says, I want you to know me. More than anything, I want you to know who I am. I don't want you to know about me as much as I want you to know me. I don't want you to focus on practicing a certain set of religious checklists as much as I really want you to hear my voice when I call you, as I want you to respond to me when I call you. And that's how helping the orphan, and that's how helping the widow comes to, pla comes to play because you have a relationship with God and you can hear his voice saying, go look for those who are overlooked. Go look for those who need you because the only way you will respond is if you are hearing the voice of God respond, calling you to do it. And so Jesus makes reference to that. He says, guess what, guys? I want you to go back and I want you to learn what this means. I want you to study what this means. I want you to understand that I am not looking as much for religious checklists as I am for you looking for a relationship with me. And that's what they're mad about. That's what the Pharisees were mad about. They're mad because Jesus is eating with sinners. He's kicking it with the wrong type of people. They saw so much promise in Jesus. They saw so much brilliance in him. They remember when he came, and some of the scribes told the story of this 12-year-old that came and completely to the seminary and completely broke everything down. They remember that guy. They know his power. They know his brilliance, and they feel like, man, Jesus, you're kind of on the wrong side of this thing. You're not really starting off right. Your religious practices are out of whack. But Jesus shows something so powerful for you, Matthew, that I just want to leave you with, that Matthew gets it. Matthew understands that what I have and what I've been doing is not good enough for me. I want something greater. And could it be that God is calling you for something greater, for something deeper, for you to have power, for you to not just simply master this life in the presence of people, but really be able to connect with God in a way that you are willing to do whatever he asks you to do, that you don't keep checks on how long you're worshiping, that you're just so in, uh, uh, in immersed in what you're doing that the presence of God begins to fill you. Some of you are scared of what I'm saying because it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like what you're used to, but there is something that God is calling you to. It may be, de it's deeper, and it may be not what you're used to, and it may not look like what it looks like for me, but there's something deeper, and there's an update that is available if you want it. And then on the other side of that is power. On the other side of that is strength. On the other side of that is something that just can't be offered with this version. So here's what I want to teach you. Just real quick things that happen, that what this religious update looks like, especially for Matthew. The first thing is that Matthew was learning. He was learning. Now look, here's what's interesting about it. The Pharisees were following and looking, but they weren't learning. Now, I don't, have you just thought about this? Like, Jesus is eating 
you know, <laughs> having dinner. Now, Matthew probably had a huge house. He was very wealthy. I'm just trying to figure out how did the Pharisees know they were having dinner there? You know, like, are they just kind of like, you know, walking by uh, casually like, oh, look at Jesus. I mean, no, I don't think it was like that. They were following him, right? They were following his every move, you know, ding dong. Oh, we just happened to show up. I'm sorry. We, we were just going by our friend's house. So we, is that Jesus in there? What is he doing? No, that's not how it happened. They were following, but they were looking. Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, but he was learning. Okay, so let me give you a modern practice. Uh, some of you have people on Facebook and social media that you are following. Now, you're, you're not learning from them. They're not teaching you something. You're looking, right? Let's be honest. You're looking for something. I had to, I had to change my Facebook stuff up because I was doing too much looking and not learning. I was learning from what I was looking, but it wasn't the right stuff. I was learning people's business because some people like to put their business out there. I'll, I'll put it this way. When I was in Chicago, when, uh, me and my wife were down there uh, working at a church on the south side of Chicago for about three years when I was in seminary. And we got invited to dinner. And uh, the, the people we got invited to dinner to was from a different church on the other side of Chicago. And so they gave us directions. And, of course, I had the old version of my phone, and it wasn't working very good. And so I was getting lost, and, I, man, we were driving around for like half an hour, and uh, we got to this one block, and I said, man, this is, this, I'm just not familiar with this where I'm at. And so I called uh, the person that invited us to dinner. I'm like, hey, I said, man, we're, we're a little lost. And, and he was like, they were like, where are you? And I told them the address or the street I saw. They were like, what? What would you say? Uh, I was like, I'm on this street and that street. He's like, pastor, you need to get out of there. I was like, what? He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> You know, did you say you're on this street and that street? And uh, they're like, yeah. They said, look, we're coming to get you, okay? You don't need to be on that street. And this is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, no, Pastor, you're on the wrong. No, you need to get out of there, okay? And I had a BMW at the time. They're like, look, you need to get out of there right away. I'm coming to this location. And so they drove from where they were for the dinner was, met us. And I didn't, I didn't ask any questions. I just got out of that part of town. And we met up with them. And so it's funny when you follow people, right, in traffic. You know, I'm not a very good, I'm a good follower, but I'm not a very good leader when you follow me in traffic. And so they were just all over the place. I'm running red lights. I'm taking illegal turns. Like, I'm, you know how you following somebody? I'm doing all that kind of stuff. Because I'm trying to make sure I get out of this part of Chicago that I don't even need to be in. And so I am following them. I'm breaking all the rules. And I'm on their tail. I'm surprised I didn't get pulled over. But I was making sure I got out of there. See, that's the difference. That's the difference right there. See, sometimes when you follow Jesus for a purpose, it might be risky, it might be scary, but when you keep your eyes on him, he may take you a direction that you're not expecting to go, but when you realize that this world is not safe and that you don't need to be staying in this world and you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, it's a different kind of following, and you are willing to open yourself and listen to the words of Jesus in a different way and not like the Pharisees who are just looking to criticize. So he was willing to learn. Matthew was willing to learn. Secondly, as they go to his house, this is verse 9. Jesus says, come on, be my disciple. So Jesus has this dinner. The second thing he does is he's invitational. He says, Jesus, I want you to come to my house. Can I ask you a personal question? If I came to your house unannounced, 
today, after church, came up in your bedroom, went to your drawers, what would I see? Don't say nothing. I was like, keep your head straight, honey. Don't, don't look at him. Don't tell him what's in there. <laughs> what would I see if I start going through your pictures and your texts? Right? He's saying, come to my house. He's inviting Jesus into his life. He's inviting Jesus into his home. I love that. Because he's like, you know what? I'm not just going to follow you at a distance. I'm not just going to be with you in public and then I'm going to, you know, do my thing. Because sometimes old religion, the one that needs an update, is very good at Sabbath. And I'm coming to meet Jesus. But the problem is we've never invited him back to our house. We've never invited. What does Jesus say? If I, I'm standing at the door, right, and I'm knocking, like unannounced, he says, anybody who opens the door, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and eat with you. And Jesus is not going to judge you. He's not going to criticize you. He's not going to complain. I don't like ranch dressing. Can this be a little colder? Jesus is not like that. But Matthew decides to be invitational. And then what else does he do? He doesn't just invite Jesus. He invites all of his tax collectors. Do you realize that Matthew was the connection between the tax collectors and, and all the sinners in Jesus? That because they knew Matthew, they were willing to meet Jesus. So when you get invitational and you say, look, I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to my house. Look, you don't have to apologize about anything. You don't have to explain anything. Everything might not be perfect. It doesn't matter. But the point is because they know you, they get to meet Jesus. There are people connected to you. And look, these are people from his past life. These are people from his old way of living. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm not ashamed of you, but I really want you to come to my house and I want you to meet. I don't know if he was doing a, th a retirement party or a going away party, whatever it was. But Jesus was there. And they were excited to see him. So last thing. Jesus is there. And there come, again, the Pharisees are complaining. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? L listen, to the, listen to the venom and the criticism in their voice. How can you be in love with Jesus and hate people? How can you do it? How can you, how can you categorize someone as scum? So Jesus responds, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. This is verse 12. Sick people do. Then he said, now go and learn to me of the scripture. We saw that. I want you to show mercy and not act sacrifices. I have come to call those who think they are righteous, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I love this because Matthew puts in a position puts himself in a position where he's receiving this. Remember, Matthew's writing this. So Jesus is at his house. These Pharisees are calling his friend scum and him. And Matthew writes, Jesus saying, I didn't come to get those who are healthy. I come, I come to those who are sick. And Matthew's like, wait a minute, that's me. Wait, Jesus is talking about me. Now, some of us would have got an attitude with that. Well, I don't know about that, Jesus. I'm not that sick. I mean, these people are sick. These people I invited to church, they're sick. Uh, they're my friends, I mean, they, you know, they didn't leave. They, they didn't leave like I did, right? They didn't quit this. To, to, these people are sick. He must be talking about them. No. He's talking about Matthew. And Matthew's not ashamed 
to put it in the record. When Jesus said he was coming for the sick, guess what? He was talking about me. Can I just tell you that sometimes he's talking about you? <laughs> not your wife, not your kids, not your coworker. Well, they, they have an attitude. They're so disrespectful. Uh, God's talking about you. I can't stand the way this house looks. I mean, what's going on here? God's talking about you. You're the problem. You're the issue. And when you are able to say, yep, I'm sick. Yep, I'm the one that needs this. You're right. I'm the one. He's willing to receive what God has to say. Some people with the old religion that need an update, they're not receptive to criticism. They're not receptive to rebuke. They're not receptive to the fact that they need to change. That the religious practice that they have set up is not going to help them in the next season of life. Because you do realize this world is getting worse. And it doesn't give us permission to step back and hide behind some tree and say, oh, Jesus is about to come. I'm just going to hide right back here. Give me a cans of Big Franks and Veggie Links, and I'm just going to disappear. Does he come yet? I'm just going to disappear. Let me turn the light off, yeah, so he won't see me. Jesus says, I'm sending you out to the wolves. That's what he said. I'm sending the church out. The darker it gets, the more light it needs. So I'm sending you to the wolves. I'm sending you. That's why you can't get another job. Because there are people at your job that need to meet Jesus. And I'm putting you there, so stay there. That's why your house isn't selling. Because you still have not met your neighbors. And I have a neighbor in your neighborhood that I'm waiting to introduce myself to through you. That's why your 35-year-old hasn't left your house. No, that's not a good one. I sh Never mind. Take that out. Edit that out of the sermon, Doug, please. Tell them to leave as soon as possible. <laughs> Are you willing to go through an update? Because it spills over everything. Here's, here's my goal every year. I'm not bragging. It's not anything to brag about. I'm just kind of being telling you where I'm at. Like every year, I try to give you an upgrade. Every year, I try to give my family an upgrade. Every year, I try to give my wife an upgrade. I try to give you all a better version of myself than last year. Because every new season requires something different. Every new place that God takes you requires something different. And sometimes he needs to show you that while you are so consumed with being righteous and being right, that you need to realize that you can't do this without me. And if you don't let me show you what's wrong and heal you from it, you'll never experience the freedom and deliverance that I have for you. So I'm going to close with this. Because there's an update available. I don't know what it's going to look like for you may look like something different for you, but God is saying, hey, I'm not asking for less of you next year. I'm asking for more of you. I'm not asking you to do less. I'm asking you to do more. But you don't understand, I, got, I, I had surgery. Yeah, I'm asking you to do more. But you don't understand, I, I mean, times are hard. I got kids in college. Yeah, God is asking you to do more. Yeah, but you don't understand, life is hard right now. I think I'm just trying to barely make it. That's right. God is asking you to upgrade. So I was in Australia 
First time I went speaking at a young adult uh, camp, uh, camp meeting. Well, it was, the, it was the young adults at the camp meeting, and and it was crazy. This this first time I went, um, they weren't expecting that many people, maybe 300, 400 people they were expecting. By Tuesday, it's like 1,600 people in there. I mean, they had no more chairs on campus. It is just absolutely crazy mayhem in there. I'm talking about there were Pentecostal preachers in there. There were people who were, <laughs> were off the street. I mean, it was nuts. I don't know what was happening in there. It was absolute mayhem. So Wednesday, about midweek, I'm preaching, and I hear this, these noises, in the, like these shouts, like outbursts, like, ah, weird words and stuff. I'm like, what is going on in here, right? So I'm trying to stay focused because it's really dark. It's a lot of people, and there's somebody just shouting and making all these, all these noises. So I'm kind of like reading the crowd, and nobody seems to be upset about it or, you know, responding or looking back. So I just stay focused. I just preach. And um, it, was, it was actually a great night, a great breakthrough that night. And so afterwards, this lady, somebody comes up and says, hey, somebody wants to talk to you. I say, okay, that usually happens every night. So I, I hang around, do my prayer, do my thing, and I'm waiting there. And here comes, I hear the shouting again, right? I hear the shout. I'm like, oh, man. I was like, I hope nobody's coming, bringing somebody demon-possessed back here because I don't want to deal with that right now. Are you kidding me? I'm not, you know, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't sign up to cast out demons, so I didn't, y'all didn't ask me to come do that. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm preparing for that. A little gentle little lady comes around the corner, and she's holding arm in arm her adult son. And as soon as I see him, I can, I realize he's got some challenges. He's got some, a disability. I don't know what it is, but he's kind of staring off in the air, and he's shouting, and, you know, kind of uncontrollable. And uh, she brings up to him, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she says, Pastor, I want to talk to you. I say, actually, she said, actually, he wants to talk to you. I was like, okay. So she pulls out. I, sh I should have been like Pastor Fred made a prop on this. Um, I'll upgrade next year, Pastor Fred, to props. I'm working on that. So <laughs> she pulls out a little cardboard piece of cardboard about this big and on the top of it it's a keyboard you know like a like a keyboard and it's just a, a piece of paper taped on this cardboard so it looks like this was something she had to do little times and so she, a lot of times and so she he stands there and he literally is like looking off kind of you know not really and he just starts pointing typing on this keyboard and and she's interpreting this. Like, he's typing it. He's just, like, sitting here, and he's kind of outbursting and shouting, and he's talking. And he's like, I really enjoyed the message. I love this point about what you said about this. And he's throwing all these big words, and it's blowing my mind. And my, my heart is just flooded. And he's just talking about this, and I really appreciate what God is doing in my life. And he's going this, this. And he's just, he's just talking on this thing. And he's he's outbursting and he's shouting and he's typing and he's, he was just saying I was, I was ready to give up but I'm so grateful and I'm just turning things around and this guy is blowing my mind and, he, and he's smiling and his mom is just overwhelmed with how much joy he had about what he heard and I never forgot it and I, and I thanked him and I hugged him and I walked away and I couldn't sleep that night because I thought, about my, I thought about my own self. I said, here I am, 
thousands of miles away from home in a place I've never been, preaching the best I can preach, and you are telling me I want more. Because if this man, with all his limitations, all his physical limitations, all the things that are holding him back, can be in a room and ignore his shouts and ignore his disability and focus to hear from God, then what is distracting me? And he taught me something. That brother taught me something about upgrading. Because he had every reason not to be there. He had every reason not to listen. He had every reason to be mad at God. He had every reason not to do whatever God has called him to do. But for some reason, something inside of him said, you know, despite whatever is going on with me, I am going to pursue God in such a way. And it was so contagious to me. I said, God, I'm going to give you more. And when you give more, guess what? You get more attack. You get more problems. You get more things that come. And I'm just persuaded that those things come anyway. But when you have an upgrade, it works differently for you. Some of you weren't expecting a death this year. Weren't expecting that. Some of you weren't expecting a divorce this year. Some of you weren't expecting your child to tell you, I don't believe in God anymore. Some of you weren't expecting to get let go from your job. Some of you weren't expecting to hear that report that the doctor told you. Some of you were not expecting what happened. But can I tell you that God is saying in spite of that news, in spite of those things, that I want you to upgrade into another level because I want you to be who I've called you to be. And this doesn't fit you anymore. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray to soul, my Lord, my soul to keep. Doesn't fit you. Jesus, thank you for my food. That's not enough. It's time for an upgrade. And the presence of God is in every single moment of our life at invitation that we might hear from him and that we might learn from him. And so today as we sing this song today, I chose this song. I'm so grateful that the team was willing to do it. I love the words of the song at the end, and we're going to sing it. And I'm going to pray for you. And all I'm offering today is that you consider that God's asking for an upgrade. And it might mean it's going to be uncomfortable. It might mean some things need to be deleted in your life. It might mean some memories need to be taken away to make room for the upgrade. But I guarantee you when it, when it happens, it'll be so much better. And you'll feel so inspired to follow God in a new way, in a new, in a new light. So we're going to sing this song together. And I want to pray. So I know the hour is late and I preached a little too long. Don't tell Pastor Sergio. But I want to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable today. Is that okay? And I just want to make this call today for those who have made a decision throughout this message that you want to God to upgrade you. You want what you do and how you follow him to be different and be better this year. I'm going to take it old school today. Is that all right? And I'm going to ask you to just come down to the front. Now, if you're not able to leave, and if that's okay, if you're limited by being able to leave and you want to, you can just raise your hand. But I'm going to ask you to be bold today. If you made that decision, it, it could be look different for, for you. It could be something for you saying, look, I just need to give my life to Christ for the first time. Some I need to be baptized or rebaptized. Some I need to join a small group. Some I need to serve more this year. 
But whatever that is for you, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable just so that we can stand strong and make a bold declaration going into next year. So if you have made that decision today, listen, and if you stay, it's no judgment or condemnation to you. But I am just calling for a few individuals to be bold and just come down. I want to pray for you and pray for us uh, going into our next year that we might allow God to upgrade us. Let's do that last line. And as that's you, just don't be afraid. Just come on down to the front. I want to meet you here. Saying no matter what happened in 2017, it's not going to hinder me in 2018. Saying, God, I just want to do more. I want to give you more. I want to live more for you. I want to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for everyone who came forward today. It is a symbol, it's a declaration of them saying, God, I want more. I want to stand for you. Lord, I pray for every individual that came. Some are tears in their eyes and they're weeping. Father, I'm just grateful that you are the one who hears and answers our prayer. And I pray now that you would make us bolder, that you would make us stronger, that you would allow us to invite you in every moment of, in, of our lives, to you into every moment of our lives. And we pray today as we give you all that we have, that we surrender ourselves to whatever you might have for us. Lord, you, might, you have greater for us. You have more for us. And we want to receive it. So today we just confess, Lord, what is ever in, our, in your way, that we want to let it go today, that we will forgive, that we will move on, that we will allow you to heal us from whatever is breaking us. God, that we would step into this new year with strength and with courage and power. And I pray for all those in this room, Lord, who will leave this room today and who will contemplate what you have said to them. And they will begin that journey, some of them starting over, some of them giving back up. But, Lord, we will leave here strong as a church and as a family, as a community, that we will go into this year serving, looking for the orphan, looking for the widow, and allowing you, Lord, to help us and not let the world corrupt us. We're so grateful for everything you've done for us. And, Lord, we declare even greater in 2018. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, we say amen. Amen. Come on, can we just congratulate and celebrate those who have come down today for their new life? God bless you. While y'all up here, give somebody a hug, encourage them on your way back.